During this episode, we will touch on, you know, mental health struggles such as anxiety and depression. We will also talk a little bit about self-harm and suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. Um, There also will be some brief mentioning of sexual assault. So if any of these things might be too much for you or a bit too triggering for you, we wanted to put this out front so you guys had this information and we will not take offense if this is just not the episode that you can listen to. That's totally okay. But as always, if you are in need of assistance or know someone that needs help, we have the Suicide Prevention Hotline, which has always been 800-273-8255. And there's also a new shorter number with just 988. You can call or text that number and be able to talk to a professional. Welcome back, everybody. Episode four, less dramatic this time. Thanks for joining us again. It's less dramatic. It, I kinda, yeah, right. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm. I can't approach it and not say like with a very smiley face. Episode four. This is awesome. We love doing this. It's gonna be a month. Uh, because we're we're trying to keep the the weekly cadence, but we're keeping to our promise. We're gonna have unfiltered conversations, and the place we're gonna start is with mental health. And the reason why is we have our lovely Cole here, who is a mental health professional. Yeah, so we are gonna talk about you know a range of different mental health issues, um, and we are gonna talk about attempted suicide and just suicide in general. And so I wanted to. We want to make sure that we put that trigger warning out there. And then as always, you know, the there is help if you need someone to talk to, if you're struggling with something like this or you know someone that's struggling, you guys can make the best decision for yourself if this is something that you need to tune into or not. Um, but we appreciate those of you that are going to tune into it. So thank you. Let's kick it off. What are Colin Gouda drinking? Yeah, we don't have a we don't have a soundboard yet, but that was pretty good. I will admit. Um, I'm gonna go first this time if that's cool. Go for it. I'm drinking the quite popular now. Um, this was given to me by Dustin and your sister. Uh, it's Whistle Pig Piggyback 100% Rye. Uh, it's a very very good whiskey. Oh, I forgot they gave you that for Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very good. I'm well like halfway through it, Dustin. So well done. Um, I am drinking, surprise, surprise, another Ashen Elm Cider. This time I am drinking their Marigold Chai Spiced Cider. Mm. Not going to lie. I didn't think that I would like it uh, with the whole spiced thing, but it is very tasty. Not too sweet, not too dry. Somewhere right in the middle. It's pretty good. So go check it out. Ashen Elm, local here to Indianapolis. Yeah. We actually, we talked about it really quick. Does it make sense to have a what are cool and uh, what are cool and good at drinking before we talk about very serious conversations? And we thought, well, yep, it's probably going to make sense to have a drink before talking about something so difficult. Yep. So 100%. here we are. All right. Do you want to kick us off, Ben? Sure. Um, so bear with me for those of you that don't want to hear me talk for too long. This episode does kind of, I don't know, tailor to me a bit more than you. Um, so for those of you who don't really know anything about me, I graduated um, with a bachelor's in science, social work, and then I went on to get my master's in social work. So I've been in the social work field for about 10 years. Um, 
I've worked with a whole range of young, young individuals, children, adults with mental health issues. Um, so mental health has always been something that's been very important to me. I think nowadays, especially there's a very negative stigma out there about mental health. Um, and it's because people are just not willing to put themselves in a negative light like that, which means Mm. they're not willing to open up and talk about these really hard topics. Mm. And I think it just makes that stigma stick around a little bit longer because if it's something that people are afraid to talk about, then how can you not attach a negative stigma to it? Mm. So I thought I would kick us off by giving you just a brief kind of synopsis of what my mental health journey has looked like throughout my life. Um, I can remember that uh, the first kind of experience that I had with anxiety was probably all the way back into middle school. Um, And then it really kind of reared its ugly head in high school. And for me, my anxiety manifested through anger. Um, I was a very angry teenager. And I know that people are probably laughing like, well, all teenagers are angry, which is true. (laughs) But I think that I was angry and I couldn't identify why I was angry. Um, I know my parents struggled with how to help me. Um, I struggled with how to help myself because I didn't know that why, that the reason I was so angry was really because I was so anxious. So like anxiety, depression, all of these mental health things can manifest through so many different ways. Like just because I struggle with anxiety doesn't mean it means I'm always sitting around worried, Mm. right? It doesn't mean I'm always sitting around just like panicking. It can manifest itself in tons of ways. And so the way that it was in my life was me being angry. Of course I was worried, you know, kind of like the normal things that people think about when they think of anxiety, but anger was the big one for me. And I think I had my first panic attack when I was in high school. Um, it was later on in high school, but it was, it was scary. Were you at school? Or- no, I was at home and I remember just having a really hard time trying. It was like, I couldn't catch my breath. My chest got really tight and I just felt really lightheaded. And I remember I sat on the floor in front of the toilet in my bathroom because I thought I was going to puke. Um, and I was kind of like just hyperventilating and my mom was with, with me. And I remember my mom telling me like, well, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, in my brain, what was happening was my brain was like, yes, Liz, I'm trying to breathe, (laughs) but my body's not listening to me. It was like my body and my brain were not on the same page. And so it's like, logically, I knew that I needed to take deep breaths and I needed to stop taking these little shallow breaths. But like my mind was racing and my body was like not cooperating with my brain. And I feel like that's Mm. kind of the best way to describe at least my panic attacks. Um, So they can be like a a myriad of different like shapes and sizes. For sure. And it's just the biggest thing that I try to get people to understand is like, I'm a mental health professional. I literally teach coping skills for a living. I've helped countless students, young adults, like grownups work through panic attacks, anxiety attacks, any of these types of things. 
And so I know what to do. I know what steps to take. Mm -hmm. But when your brain is in like a state of panic Mm -hmm. and your body doesn't seem to be listening to your brain anymore, it's not that simple. You can't just be like, okay, Nicole, take deep breaths. Yeah. Um, I immediately. So you said that about your mom. (laughs) This is the first time I've ever heard about you saying that your first panic attack was at home uh, with your mom. And what did I do the very first time that you had a panic attack in front of me? I'm like, honey, take just, deep just breathe, take deep breaths. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I'm, uh, yeah, kind of hitting myself right now. That's, uh, yeah. But I mean, I think a normal person, like that's oh, where for their head sure. goes. You know, I think it's because people want to help mm-hmm. and they don't really know what to do in those situations. And so it's like, well, let me remind you of what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the disconnect between your body and your brain when you're going through a panic attack does not allow you to think logically. So anyways, fast forward. Um, I would say I had I had some pretty consistent panic attacks when I was in college for lots of different reasons. Um, I was going through some medical issues, which was causing a lot of anxiety and stress. I was diagnosed with endometriosis my junior year of college. And so although I got a diagnosis as to why I was having so many physical issues, I don't think it really stopped my anxiety at all. Um, Just because like, other than them putting me on birth control, there wasn't really anything they could do for me. And so I still kind of felt like my body was kind of out of whack and I didn't know what to do next. And so my anxiety continued throughout college And then fast forward even more. Um, I moved to Indianapolis in uh, the summer of 2017, right after I graduated with my master's degree. I lived in Broad Ripple for the first year I was here. And then I moved to Zionsville. I lived there for about a year. Um, I would say the time period that I was in Zionsville. So it was like 2018. That's when my depression decided to like sneak into my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could probably pinpoint a few kind of random sporadic times that I could be like, yeah, I think these are kind of depressive symptoms, but I didn't really know for sure until that, that time when I was in Zionsville. Mm -hmm. So something I want to add about depression is depression can absolutely be circumstantial, right? It can be based on what's going on in your environment. You are a bit more down than you normally are Mm -hmm. for sure. But clinical depression is there's something that's out of whack in your brain chemistry. Mm. It's not so like there's been a lot of, I feel like, misconceptions about depression over the years. But what it comes down to is your brain chemistry is just different. That's Mm. why most people who have depression, clinical depression, diagnosed with it, are on medication for it Mm -hmm. because there's not really anything else to do because it's your brain chemistry. You need to allow your brain to keep functioning the way that a normal brain would. And that's what the medication is for. And you said diagnosed as in like there's a lot of people out there that have not been diagnosed. Oh, 100%. Should probably be on medication. Yeah, absolutely. Need that help. I think that anxiety is one of those things. Anxiety, absolutely. You can take anti-anxiety meds, whatever. But anxiety is one of those things that you can use your coping skills. You can use the things around you to treat it a lot better Mm -hmm. than depression. So just wanted to put that out there. So I started having kind of like these depressive symptoms. So the way that they looked for me was... I had a roommate for a while and then she moved across the country. So I was in an apartment by myself, which normally had never been an issue for me because I'm an introvert. I like being alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I had Finney at the time. And so, but it was 
I was isolating myself. I already felt very isolated because the only person I really knew in the area had just moved. And I felt so far away from Indianapolis and like the city and the few friends that I had made at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was very isolated. I happened to get laid off around the same time. So you add that to you add not having a purpose, not really having any reason to get out of bed or shower or get dressed or do anything like that. I knew it was really bad when I had lost the motivation to like take Finn outside. So that's when I knew it was really bad because I love Finn and I would do anything for him and I was no longer able to take care of him. There were a lot of things going on and I'm sure a lot of people who don't fully understand depression and mental health are listening to this story and they're like, okay, so this girl was alone and she didn't have a job like and she's depressed. Like, come on. I think that like that's a little weak. But I think what people don't realize is years prior to this. I had been in a very abusive relationship. It was a secret from almost everybody in my life. Nobody really knew that I was somewhat dating this person. But this man hurt me badly. Physically, emotionally, sexually assaulted me several times. So I had been kind of pushing that to the side because I was I was working on getting my master's. You know, I like was focused on the next stage of my life while all of this was going on. So what I think that what really triggered this depression for me was like, it was the first time that I had to kind of like stop and be left alone with what had happened to me. Mm. Yeah, I didn't have a job to distract me. I didn't have friends or community to like keep me focused on something else. All I had was a very empty apartment with only my thoughts and all of like the things that had happened to me mm-hmm. is what I sat and thought about all day long. I thought about how I stayed in this relationship. I thought about the times that he had raped me over and over and over and over again for months. And I remember just feeling so lost. Mm. And I remember feeling like, This is a stage of my life I don't see myself getting out of. I had no hope at this point. Like I was beyond like I was I had tried all the things to like make friends and to meet people and to like all the things and none of it was working for me. And so the next thing in my mind was like, oh, I got to move back home, you know, but I I didn't want to do that because that was failure to me. And so instead, I just like lived in this. It was like. The best way I can describe it is it was like a never ending nightmare of all of my trauma, like for months. And this was just on repeat. So this was the time in my life that I self-harmed. This was the time in my life where I wanted to die because I didn't see a next step. Like I was applying to jobs. I was still even my in my depressed state. I was still trying to move forward. Mm-hmm. And nothing was working. I wasn't getting any jobs. I wasn't meeting any people. And I just felt utterly broken. And like there was no way that I was going to make it out of the hole that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would be very surprised to hear this story because not a lot of people know about this this stage of my life. You know, I don't yeah. openly talk about it as much because it's I mean, it's it was the darkest place I've ever been in. I sat in my bathroom, in my apartment, by myself, ready to kill myself. 
So for people who don't understand why I'm as obsessed with Finn, my dog, it's because they don't know they don't know this story. So like as a mental health professional, when I'm screening someone for suicide, suicide ideation, whatever, I figure out if they have a plan. I figure it out. I figure out if they have intent and I figure out if they have the means to do what they are trying to do. Mm-hmm. I had all three of those things. If I had been sitting across the table from a social worker, a therapist, whoever, they would have sent me to the hospital immediately mm-hmm. because they would have known that I was ready to do it. I knew exactly what I was going to do and I was ready to do it. But there is a type of attempt. It's called interrupted attempt. And that's literally what happened. I was in the process of doing that very thing of taking my own life and who barges in the door and literally interrupts me. None other than my little black lab Finn. I. I don't know what I would have done. If Finn had not come in that. And I understand that like some people can just never imagine. Trust me. I think I was one of those people that I could never imagine why someone would do something like this until it happened to me. And, you know, the reason why I'm so obsessed with Finn and the reason why I treat him like he is my actual child And the reason why I say that he's like the first thing that I ever fell in love with was because he did. He saved my life. And like Finn, if anyone knows him, he listens to anything I tell him. Hmm. And I'm sitting on the floor crying, asking him to get out. I'm like yelling at this poor dog to get out of the bathroom. And he's sitting between my legs, just crying and looking at me, like making these little whiny sounds, wagging his tail, kissing my face. Hmm. And he saved my life. And that's why I know that some people think it's weird how attached I am to him. But he did. He saved my life. And I owe that dog so much more than I ever thought I would owe any anything or anyone. I just. He saved my life. I'm going to take a break, sweetheart. <laughs> I'm OK. You sure? Mm-hmm. OK. So the other thing I really want people to know before I get on like my off of my soapbox is be kind. Don't judge people if they tell you they have struggled. Don't make people feel bad because of their quote unquote weaknesses or weak moments because we're all human. And the fact that I was the one helping people through these very dark times. And then it turns around and I go through the exact same thing that some of my clients had done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really put everything into perspective for me. Yeah, sure. Because I'm not supposed to, right? I know all the answers. I know how to help people in those moments. I know what to do, like all of these things, but it just, life sucks sometimes and you don't understand, you never will know what someone has been through. And so just be kind and listen to someone if they have a story to tell. And just because you think it's weak that someone hurts themselves, I think that's really insensitive. 
And I used to be that person. I used to be very judgmental about people who used to hurt themselves until I went through it myself. And it completely changed my perspective because you don't know what people are going through. Yeah. It's, it's so true that if, if there's any message, it's the message of please be kind to people because you have no idea what they're, they're dealing with. You know, even after all of that, I think I still convinced myself that I didn't actually have depression. I think I always just was able to blame things on anxiety because I feel like anxiety is a bit, bit of a nicer diagnosis than depression is. I think when Mm -hmm. people hear depression, they're a lot more judgmental than they are when they hear anxiety. And so even after all of that, I still was like, no, you know, I'm just super anxious, whatever. I went through a bad phase. So fast forward, obviously I made it through that time. Um, Again, it was because of Finn and Finn only like I didn't let my parents know what was going on. I didn't tell my sister. I didn't tell anybody. Finn was the only thing that I had at the time. So fast forward. It wasn't until last year, 2022, I was talking to my therapist and I had just kind of been like, listen, this is how I feel. I just kind of feel really lethargic and just very like the way that I would describe it to, to you is like, you know, babe, you'd be like, what's wrong? And what did I always said? I always said, I just feel off. Yeah. And I couldn't describe it past that. And I remember talking to my therapist about it. And I was like, you know, I just have been feeling really off lately. I just don't feel like myself. It's hard for me to get out of bed. Um, It's hard for me to feel really excited to do things. And as I'm saying these things out loud to my therapist, I'm like, okay, Nicole, holy shit. You're literally like I'm listing off the qualifications, the criteria for a depression diagnosis in the DSM. Yeah. You know, loss of interest that things that used to give you pleasure, lethargic, like, you know, all of these things. And she was the first like the first real person. I feel like the first person that I really trusted who Mm -hmm. said, yeah, I think that you have depression. And she was like, I think you have a mild case of depression, but. You absolutely have anxiety, but you have mild depression symptoms as well. And I feel like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulder because finally someone had confirmed what I think my brain always knew. Hmm. And it just felt really nice for someone who I respected as a professional, respected as a therapist, someone that I trusted who had worked through all of this trauma with me to say, yeah, I think you have depression and I think it's totally okay, but I think you need to consider medication. Hmm. It was validation. Yeah, it really was. And like, I have a lot of really wonderful friends that have experience with, you know, d- uh, with medication as well. And so I reached out to some of them and I was just kind of like, this is what I'm going through. I think that I'm going to try to figure out if I need some antidepressants. So fast forward even more, I started taking Lexapro, which are my antidepressants the summer of 2022. Uh, so I've been on them on them for about six months at this point. Mm-hmm. Um And I wouldn't say that like the change was very drastic. And I know it is very drastic for some people. It wasn't like that for me. But I think that, and I'm not saying that things have gotten amazing. I'm not saying that I don't ever have panic attacks. I don't ever have depressive symptoms. But I think when I do, the frequency is a lot less and the severity is a lot less. Mm. And I think that you would probably echo that. Yeah, I can say that. So whenever you would have um, sort of like a, a moment or a time of feeling off, you your rationale was basically out the window. And as you started getting on on the medication, I feel like now 
it's very much like without even me having to prompt you, you're able to talk yourself through it more. It's like the chaos in your brain is kind of calmed Mm -hmm. and you're able to think through and problem solve for yourself rather than needing someone else to like talk you through it. Yeah. I think that like another point to that it's important for us to talk about is my mental health struggles, my anxiety and my depression in the last three years of our relationship things have been really hard sometimes between us because of it. It has. And we've had to work through it together and we've had to have a lot of failures, but also have some wins. And so like, I just want to hear your perspective about like your partner struggling with something and you being that person on the sidelines and just like Hmm. your advice to anyone who might be in your position with like having a partner that's struggling with these things. It's especially my personality type. It's very, and it was very difficult because you know me, our friend, um, any, anybody that knows me well is I'm, I'm a problem solver. I'm an engineer. It's what, it's what I do. And when we started dating and the first time you had your panic attack, I've never felt so helpless in all my life. Because here you are, I I think you were crying in your bedroom and I was like, what can I do? What's wrong? How do I fix this? You know, tell me the details, give me the steps and I will do those things to fix it. Or I ended up just like trying to do things and then inevitably sometimes made it worse. So that feeling of helplessness is it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. But as you know, we went to therapy and we talked talked to our therapist about it. We've had conversations about it. Um, you can speak to it from the mental health side of things, a profession side of things. And the answer is to to be there. You don't necessarily have to be fixing it, tweaking what's going on in in your head. The thing that I do now, if I ever see you cry, and you you start clamming up and 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 things are difficult. I go get a washcloth that's cold with cold water. I put it on your head and I just sit there and I hug you. I don't say a word anymore. And it's just, it's taken, it's taken a long time to get there, but I understand what I, what it is I need to do. And I think anybody that's, that's going through that for the first time with someone or they've been doing it for a really long time and it's frustrating. It is very frustrating. There are, there are times I've been angry and God, I would, I would never show that anger in front of you, but there were times where I, I bunched up my fists in the garage and just like yelled because I, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't fix it. So the thing that I, I will preach is you have to be patient and you have to actively listen. What does your partner need? And, and I encourage you to not have this conversation in the middle of a panic attack or any, any sort of depress, depression, uh, depressive episode, rather. It's as, as a partner, it's, it's difficult, but it is the most rewarding thing knowing that the person that I love most in the world sees me as their place of safety and trust. And they know that being with me can help them through whatever it is that they're going through. I'm I'm not a savior by any means, <laughs> but I can be a support. And that's that's really all it is. I can be 
I can never be Finn, but I can be like Finn. And that's that's all it really comes down to. Yeah, I think that like as blunt as this may sound, if you or your partner is struggling with these things and like one of you is not knowing really what to do in those situations, I hate to say it, but there might just need to be some trial and error. You know, like there were lots of times where I was having a panic attack and you would do things that wouldn't help, but I couldn't verbalize that at the time because I couldn't even catch my breath enough to speak one word. And so it was after I was able to get through the panic attack where I was like, hey, don't do this next time. And you were always very patient and very understanding and very willing to try whatever needed to be done in those moments. And that's why like you and I have, I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, we've got a system at this point. You know, mm-hmm. if I start breathing really shallow in a shallow way and I start hyperventilating and I'm crying and all these things, you immediately know that like my body temperature is rising and I need something to cool me down. And that's what the washcloth is for. And so I think that like, and just because the washcloth on the forehead works for me, I know some people that get cold towels and they put it on the back of their neck. I know a lot of people will like make sure that they get placed somewhere in front of a fan, like Mm. lots of things. And I think that like it, anxiety attacks look different for everybody. Mm. And so if this is something that you struggle with or your partner struggles with, or your friend struggles with, like you need to talk about it in an open, honest way. And I think that was the hardest part for me is like, this is just about the weakest I could possibly look in front of the man that I love is I'm in a ball on the floor crying and hyperventilating snot flying everywhere like it's not pretty it's not and it's not anything that like i would want the man that i love to see me like Hmm. but i had to allow myself to be seen by you in that way in order for us to work together as a couple Hmm. and to like get through these times together yeah i do remember having to turn on stubbornness Because, yeah, especially those early stages, you didn't want to be anywhere near me. And when it came down to it, I I refused. I I refused to leave you because I said, I want to make sure you're okay. And eventually you you let me in and you let me see the very real side of you. And you're right. It's it's not pretty, but it's it's real life. It's very real and the person that I love most is going through something and I'm going to stand by you, do whatever I have to do and make sure that you're okay. Yeah. I think that I appreciate you greatly for all of the the patience and the kindness that you have given me over the last few years dealing with this kind of stuff. I mean, I think back to the first time that I dissociated in front of you. Mm. And for people that don't know what that means, it means that like basically my brain tried to trick me that I was back in like my traumatic situation instead of where I was physically. Mm. And I started panicking and freaking out because I thought that I was back with my abuser and you had to remind me who you were and where I was and what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine what something like that is like for you who has never experienced anything like that before. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have gone through a lot together when it comes to my mental health. And I'm incredibly grateful for everything that you've done and giving me a safe space. That time that was that was incredibly, incredibly hard because I. Yeah. And this is this is graphic. What had happened at that very moment is you I can't remember the funk 
like why what led up to that but like you had gotten in the shower i think to kind of just like decompress and then the episode like really set in you were in a towel on your bed and and weeping for for quite a, a long time and eventually you fell asleep and i what i ended up doing because it was i think the dead of winter um i went to go put clothes on you so you could you could go to sleep and you had wet hair so like you were freezing and then i remember i was i was putting underwear on you and you thought i was him and that was that was scary for me because i could see the f- the fear in your eyes and it it hurt it hurt a lot and i'm 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 so sorry i couldn't save you from that it's my only regret in life is that i didn't meet you sooner to protect you it was really hard but we got through it i reminded you who i was and we got you tucked into bed and that next morning we talked through it and, and everything that had happened. And you told me that was the first time I learned about what dissociating was because I, I was, I, I was completely unaware of like what was happening in that moment. You thought I was trying to hurt you. And here, all I thought I was doing, I was just putting some socks and underwear and a sweatshirt on you. And that was, yeah, that was hard. And yeah, speaking as a, as a partner moment, that moment taught me that I have to be incredibly, incredibly patient. Because there's all these things that can happen, disassociation, the depressive episodes, your anger can come out sometimes. I I've learned to be patient with all of that. And I don't, I don't blame you for a second for any of it. Because I know it's it's out of your control. That was hard. And I love you. I just want to say that. You know, and I love you too. And I appreciate how patient you've been. I um I want to make sure that people understand. That people who struggle, well, let me just say this in a blunt way. Every single person on this planet struggles with some sort of mental health issue. It's just that simple. They could be extremely high functioning and you may never even recognize that it's going on. But we are all humans, which means we are all flawed. And every single one of us, whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, whether it's anger, whether it's addiction, OCD, it doesn't matter. The list goes on and on and on. Every single one of us struggles with some sort of mental health issue. So I say that to the people who are a bit more judgmental. The next person you see someone you see struggling with hallucinations out on the street, right? Some homeless guy and he's (laughs) yelling at the wall and you're like, wow. Well, that's he's crazy. He's this. What a psycho, whatever the case may be. Think about your words, because chances are he's probably addicted to something Mm. or he probably struggles with schizophrenia. And I would be really hurt if someone that I loved, someone that I respected, looked at me and said, well, she's just like that depressed girl, you know, like instead of it being something that I struggle with, I struggle with depression. I'm labeled as that depressed girl. Right. So like someone's acting a bit erratic and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Why are you acting so bipolar? OK, but you don't actually know if that person has the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And do you know how disrespectful that is if they do have that? Do you know how disrespectful it is to say something like that 
because you're putting people that have bipolar disorder in this negative book like it can't be something that's treated because that's a complete myth. Bipolar disorder can absolutely be treated just like schizophrenia can. And I think we just need to be a bit more careful with our language in this society. And instead of saying things like, oh, well, he's just a schizophrenic. Oh, he's just an addict. No, those people struggle with a schizophrenic disorder. They struggle with an addiction disorder, but they are not a that is not the only thing that defines them. Mm. And so I think the way that we word these things is really important. Yeah. And I catch myself sometimes, too, you know. I will casually say something and then I have to I have to check myself and say, you know what, that's actually really disrespectful to that person and to whatever they might be struggling with. Yeah, well, I think it's just it's it's that being kind and just you don't understand something. So what do you do? You point a finger and you laugh or you, you know, you s- say some label for the for the people raising their eyebrows about Cole just saying everybody has some type of flaw, um, which is very, very true. I learned about my own and this is just something i recognized about myself but it's right in there what's taught to the mental health professionals i have a thinking error which is all or nothing that means whenever i try to do something i'm all in i do not half-ass it or i'm just completely out so there's no in between there's no balance um, for a lack of better word so yeah there is a flaw in all of us and and some do rear their head worse than others some can be very high some people can be very high functioning in their um whatever it might be but everybody out there does struggle with something we're human that's that's what happens before you judge others look at yourself real quick and just say you know what what could i say that's actually nice or maybe just don't say anything at all mm-hmm. yeah and i i just i want to encourage everybody to be kind, be open-minded, be willing to listen to somebody else's story. I'm convinced that there wouldn't be a person that you wouldn't love if you got to know them and heard their story. And I think that if you are like me and you need a little bit of help in the form of a medication, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Not at all. And I think it took me a, it took me a long time to not feel angry that as much as I love you, It frustrated me that Gouda could just wake up every day and feel good and feel okay and feel like himself. And then there was me who has to wake up and take a pill in order to feel like myself. And I think that like I was angry for a minute that I was dealt one of those hands, you know, that I'm Mm. probably going to have to be on medication for the rest of my life to quote unquote function normally. But at the same time, I had to remind myself that I am blessed that I can afford the medication that I need mm. and that I'm a, I'm able to get the medication that I need to help me. And we all need help. Some of us need help in forms of medication. Some of us need help in forms of therapy. We all need help in different ways. And I think that when we remind ourselves that we're not that different from the person next door to us. We're not that perf- we're not that different from the person who lives down the street from us, that the world is going to be a little bit better of a place. It's going to be a bit more open minded and a bit more accepting of those of us that's that are different and maybe struggling with things that you may know about or you may not. 
But regardless, I think that we all just need to be a bit more accepting. And I'm hoping that this conversation, although it was hard to have and it might be hard to hear, I hope it does something. It sparks something. Maybe it's a conversation with someone that you know struggles with mental health. Mm. Maybe it's just a different perspective when you look at people who might be struggling with these things. And it's not even just about mental health. It's people that are struggling with anything. I mean, for God's sakes, grief is a mental health struggle. (laughs) And how many of us struggle with grief? We are not that different from one another. And it is about time that we just put our arms out and accept those that are around us for whoever they are and offer our help with whatever that they need. It's just that simple. It doesn't need to be made into this long, complicated thing. We just need to be better people. We need to be kinder. We need to be more open-minded and we need to be willing to look past the negative stigmas that are out there in our society right now. 100% agree. It's so easy to say, what's up? How you doing? And then to say, oh, good. If you, if you care about somebody, ask a real question, ask how they are actually doing and start a conversation. Especially if you see your friend or haven't heard from your friend in a while, check in on them. See how they're doing. We we appreciate everybody listening. This wasn't an easy conversation to have. But again, we do hope that someone can take something away from this. Cole made herself very, very, very vulnerable here. And I'm super proud of her. We appreciate all of you and your support. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like to say, obviously, we gave that disclaimer at the beginning. But if you do need help, call the suicide hotline. Talk to a friend. Call somebody that you think might understand. And if you don't have anybody and you don't know where to go, follow us on Instagram, DM us, and I promise you I will chat with you, help you however I can, even if it's just acknowledging what's going on and having an open dialogue about things like this. Our Instagram is unfilteredgoals, G-O-L-E-S on Instagram. I promise we are here for you just like we are your friends. If there's something that you need someone to talk to, we can be there for you. For sure. And I think there's an underscore in between unfiltered and goals. Yes. <laughs> it's it's That new. is correct. It's new. So yeah, yes. we, we had to get that right. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Have a great one. Smile at somebody and maybe just ask how they're doing for real. See you next week. Bye. Bye.